Try not to get flogged or stabbed today. No, no promises, Sassinac. You're listening to Bossy Britches with Lisa Shiniger and Julia Dumay. Oh, okay. Well, let's see. I'm not sure where to where to start with this. Um, I guess... Well, I haven't seen all the Outlander that's available yet. Yeah, same here. I'm only about halfway through. Yeah, I've watched the first two episodes. And... But what... I guess we can talk about what we think so far, since it's still going, you know. Um, I... I enjoyed it. I was surprised to see Ronald D. Moore was behind it. I had no idea that was a thing. Yeah, I didn't. I think I knew it, but I didn't realize it until I saw um, Bear McCreary's name on the the credits. And I was like, oh, okay. I know who this is now. Yes. I was like, huh, that is quite a departure from what I'm used to seeing from Ronald D. Moore. Yeah. So that's, that's fun. Well, what do you think? What do you think of it so far? I'm enjoying it. Um, I'm kind of, I honestly, I'm still pretty early in. So I guess my biggest issue so far is just that I'm like not seeing much chemistry between any characters romantically. Um, I'm just like, this is supposed to be a romance, but I'm not particularly invested in any relationships here. I'm like, uh, you know. Yeah, I have the same thing. I was actually trying to figure out in the first episode where exactly it is that Jamie fell in love with Claire. Like, and it's, yeah. I think it's when um when he falls off the horse and she's yelling at him for not telling anybody oh, that yeah. he's injured. It's kind of like there's this moment where I'm like, oh, that's it. That's the one. Yeah. Yeah, I could see it. That and, was, and that was pretty charming. Yeah. That was fairly, that was a pretty lovely moment. And I like that she is a nurse. I like that she is fairly competent and knows what she's doing. That's pretty cool. Yeah. But yeah, I'm like, okay, I'm not particularly invested in either their, her and Jamie's romance, really, or her and her husband's romance back in the 20th century. I'm like, uh these are these are okay, but that may not be fair because it's still pretty early. Yeah, I think I'm I think I'm into the fourth episode, and I'm mostly just frustrated because mm. it's Claire's reactions don't make a lot of sense to me. Um, mm. She falls in the middle of you know this 18th century battle that's happening. Um, yeah, and there's people in kilts. There's people on horseback. There's guys in actual red coats. There's a guy who looks yeah. exactly like her husband, but isn't. And she still keeps thinking, oh, Frank will find me. Frank is looking yeah. for me right now. And I'm like, where are you? Where do you think that you yeah. are that this is happening? And your husband's going yeah. to come riding over the hill in the car and pick you up. And then, yeah. you know, then she realizes that she, where she is and that she's stuck. And then she keeps making these decisions that just don't make any sense i mean she makes she makes very little attempt to fit in she can't curb her tongue it's really frustrating for me because i'm watching her and thinking am i supposed to like her yeah yeah you know yeah now that you say that that was something that kind of bugged me as i was watching the pilot i'm like it almost seemed like she went really quickly from denial to acceptance. It seemed like there was just no real adjustment at all um, of going from, 
oh, this must be, you know, and I liked her reaction initially of, oh, they must be filming a movie. That's a little weird, but I could see that makes sense as an assumption. Mm -hmm. But then she immediately goes to, oh, this is not a movie. I guess I'm just gonna be stuck here for a while. Okay, you know, she just, it seems very, yeah, um, she kind of rolled with it a little too quickly, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And I wondered if that was, um, <clears throat> if that was a choice that they made in the adaptation to have it happen mm. that quickly, because they do have a really short order. I think it's only like 16 episodes, something like that, oh, for the first okay. season. All and right. they're only airing the first half now. The second half will be next year. Um, yeah. That's, so it are was... they all? Are they still calling that? Uh, okay, we have to go on a tangent here because <laughs> that is something that bugs me. Of and I guess they do it for, I, I have no idea, really. I've heard various explanations for why they do this. But they call it, are they calling it all one season, even though they're splitting it into two parts? Yeah, I think that they are because the, they, they're greenlit for a second season and that won't start filming until next year. So Okay, um, yeah, that, that yeah. yes, I'm going to have to, yes, this is a big annoyance of mine because more and more shows are doing this where they split it into two seasons and they're like, oh, they split into two parts. I'm sorry. And they're like, oh, no, it's not two seasons. Like, if you want to do a shorter season, do a shorter right. season. Especially I'm okay when that. you're on premium cable. I mean, well, yeah. although Stars counts as premium cable, right? You have to pay for yeah. it. Okay. Because yeah. um, You've got the audience built in. You're going to build all of your marketing around these shows. Why not just call it shorter? And then you've got yeah. you've got more seasons to sell than if you split it into two halves. And then you've got because um, I think the reason they do it is you get people to sign up for the channel now, and they get this little yeah. burst of it. You get people to sign yeah. up for the channel later. Well, you get the same thing if you call it two seasons instead of yeah. pretending that it's all one single season. I mean, um, I'm guessing, I, I don't know, I've heard some people say, well, it's about, I don't know, it's about contracts with the networks, mm. it's about this, it's about that. I'm like, but you're still getting the same number of episodes. Right. I mean, my impression is that contracts are generally more X number of episodes rather than X number of seasons. But yeah, that's what, what I, I understood, too, because even a full season order isn't necessarily 22 episodes or 13 yeah. for premium cable. Yeah. Um, it's it's based on we're going to we're going to order four from you now and we'll, with the option to add more on later. So, yeah, that yeah. Is, it's frustrating. And it's um. It kind of is that split between the U.S. market's understanding of what a season mm. is and, and say, yeah. uh, Great Britain's Americans, understanding. Yeah. Sorry, uh, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. American seasons are long They're as so hell. Long. You learn that They're when you're so into, long. like, British shows. You're like, dang, our yeah. seasons are long. Well, and then there's also the idea of uh, a, a British series, when it gets a series order, um, they have... They have everything in the can. Um, mm -hmm. The BBC buys a discrete chunk and then they put mm -hmm. it on the air. Uh, mm -hmm. They buy, buy it based on the strength of the pilot, whereas the American model is you buy it on the strength of the pilot and then the show is in production as it's airing for the most part, huh. especially on networks. That's why All you right. see yeah, sitcoms change gear a lot through the, yeah. Through yeah, the season. Yeah, definitely, yeah, that's true. Huh, all right, all right, a little education for me there. <laughs> I did not, I was not aware that was a thing. Yeah. Okay, that's like, interesting. Um, like Lost, you know, these shows, they get sold on this really high concept yeah. pilot, and then, you know, they have a storyline that is mapped out for that first season, 
but it's always with the idea that it's going to be continued to be renewed. Mm-hmm. So you really get into a thing where if you don't have that, the full arc at the beginning, it sort of meanders quite a bit. Yeah. Especially <laughs> with the long season. Yeah. Working X-Files. in your direction. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Exactly. That, that sold, it was the Night Stalker. It was like an updated version of the Night Stalker in the FBI. And then it became something completely different. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really interesting <laughs> oh. to see that. And I wonder how this show is going to do, if it's going to follow yeah. that same kind of a model, if it's going to start straying it's... from the material. Yeah. Well, I haven't read the books. I've got one of them. And then I was really put off by the author, by Dan- Diana Gabaldon. Is that how it's pronounced? Gabaldon, I think. Gabaldon. Okay. I'm not sure. Diana, whatever it is. Diana something with a G. Um, by her, like, oh, fan fiction is so creepy thing. Her, like, big moral objection to fan fiction and how creepy and disturbing she yeah. finds it. I'm like, really? The thing that got so... me with that wasn't just that she said it was creepy, because that's fine. She can have that opinion if she's not involved in fandom. I can see mm. yeah. some of the things that fandom does, you get that impression. <laughs> it is creepy. <laughs> But um, the thing that got me was, I think she was the one that actually said it was like if people writing fan fiction about her characters was akin to someone stealing her daughter and selling them, selling her into white slavery. Yeah. And I was kind of like, that seems a bit, that seems a bit much. (laughs) Especially, I mean, and we're going to, this segues us nicely into the next part of that, which is. You know, coming from someone who has based one of the main characters on Doctor Who, on a character from Doctor Who, I'm like, really? What? How do you square that? Like, okay, Uh, fine. If you want to say, look, I'm not into it. I'd rather not see it. Fine. Whatever. But really, to talk about how creepy and morally objectionable you find fan fiction and not I, I just don't get how you can square that yeah the story is that she watched it was back in the day on pbs before mm-hmm. doctor who got rebooted she saw mm-hmm. a rerun of um i think it was war crimes um oh, okay a, a serial where that had jamie mccrimmon who was mm-hmm. a scottish highlander uh who was actually plucked out of the battle of culloden yeah okay so she saw this rerun with uh, Jamie McCrimmon and she thought, oh my gosh, that would be perfect for this book that I want to write. I'll base this character on him. And mm. then she proceeded to put him in all of these like incredibly porny scenes yeah. with her main character. And I'm yeah. I'm kind of sitting here thinking, well, what is the difference between yeah, exactly. what you just did and what I'm like, okay, just so if I took your concept and filed the serial numbers off, which... Uh, I guess probably I should explain for, you know, in case we don't have a completely fan fiction audience that filing the serial numbers off generally refers to when somebody um, takes their fan fiction, changes some names and identifying details and anything that basically ties it to too clearly to the source material and sells it as original fiction. Um, see, for instance, Fifty Shades of Grey, where she just kind of changed the names to Anastasia and what's the dude's name? Christian. Christian. And Christian and from Bella and Edward and 
there you go, you had suddenly fan fiction that was original fiction. Um, yeah, that she took this... I'm like, okay, so you'd be okay with me taking your characters, filing off the serial numbers, and selling it as original fiction, and making money off of it, but you're not okay with me just using your characters to tell stories to entertain me and my friends. Like, right. huh. Yeah, I have, I have the same reaction where, to me, most of the things that I have gotten into, uh, television shows, movies, music, they have come from a place of another fan advocating for it. And a big way that yeah. fans advocate for things is through the creation of fan works like fan fiction. Yeah. Um, another thing, something that I really got into this summer was actually Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Oh my god! Which came from I, which yes. I want to talk about a little bit later, but um, yes. that came from a place of all of my friends are nuts for it, and I mm -hmm. see gift sets of it constantly on Tumblr, um, and I read a lot of fan fiction over the summer, and then, but I hadn't seen I'd seen one episode I'd seen the the episode that aired after the Super Bowl, and I was oh, it was yeah. cute, but I wasn't really into it. And yeah. then as all of my friends sort of slowly fell into this Brooklyn Nine-Nine <laughs> pit, I was like, well, let me jump down there and see what they're looking at. Yes. And so I watched the yes. whole season in about a week, and I'm completely yes. in love with it. Join and us. that absolutely would not have happened if it hadn't been for these fans who are out there writing their own stories, coming up with their own scenarios for things that are happening outside yeah. of what we see on the page, so to speak. Um, yeah. So it's always confounded me, that idea that, uh, that a creator of something who is out there to sell their creation yeah. has a problem with fans sort of taking that and making it their own. And I think that also boils down to that, to the literary idea of the author being dead. Yeah. Um, I think if yeah. you're the kind of a creator who believes that your interpretation is the final one and you still have a say over your output once mm. it's out there, mm. um, that's where you would run into that. Whereas if you're a creator who believes that I've written it, it's out there, now it's for the user, um, I think you probably yeah. wouldn't see that as much. I did see also a very interesting argument somebody had made. Somebody said, you know, in a comment somewhere that they were like, this is a very, very shortened form of what I basically talked about a lot in college, but that, you know, the idea of fan fiction, as we would call it fan fiction, is very much also a product of modern capitalism, because, you know, prior to the idea of intellectual property, you know, I mean, the or example of this is Shakespeare. He was just stealing people's ideas all over right. the place and using their characters. And it's just not until we became a culture that where proper intellectual property was a thing that we started calling fan fiction something different from regular stories. Right. You know, that it's very much kind of a it's something we've done for a long time. We just didn't think of it this way all the time. Right. And I think there's also that aspect of fandom is primarily a female space mm -hmm. that that needs mm -hmm. to be tied into it because uh, the gatekeepers decide what is literary and what is hobby. Yeah. And so yeah. you see things like um, literary adaptations or continuations of stories that get published. Um, and they're sort of anointed as correct 
because yeah. they've been through a publishing house and they're out there. But whereas the fan created stories don't because it's just a hobby. It's just something that people do on the internet. It's something mm. that women are doing on the internet. And that's mm. not typically a domain that gets a whole lot of respect. Yeah. That may be, I think that's sort of also part of why, well, first of all, speaking of genres, I mean, even within literature, you know, I feel like as somebody who reads a lot of romance novels pretty cheerfully, you know, I, <laughs> I love romance novels. Me too. They're great. You know, they're awesome. Um, but I feel like even as a genre reader, I feel like a lot of mysteries i mean and i've read a bunch of mysteries i've read a bunch of dude adventure novels um and i'm like reading them and i'm like beat by beat these are romance novels it's just that the plot revolves around a dead body mm -hmm. or even a lot of bernard cornwell i i will i will admit in the throes of my sean bean crush sharp. i totally read the sharp yes. books and i'm like thinking of them now i'm like those were romance those were novels. Rom you got me into They're the sharp novels with, and they were oh, definitely romance <laughs> you're welcome i apologize oh no thank you very welcome. much yes um but i'm like these are romance novels they're just romance novels where you switch the ratio of like non-romance plot and romance plot around you know that's just a reversed ratio and same thing with mysteries i'm like these are genre novels but i guess they're you know they're crime they're more dudely genres so they're much more acceptable i feel like in in main in the mainstream than romance novels right that um, the summer i uh took a class um for my degree and what we had to do was Break, find a source novel and break down the beats. Yes, and I remember I, you talking. Yeah, about and this, I picked. And it uh, sounds amazing. It was it was fantastic. I picked a Raymond Chandler novel actually. The Ooh. the first um, Philip Marlowe, and oh, broke okay. it down. And the way that it does, it doesn't have a typical romance novel ending where the hero and the heroine end up together and there's hot monkey sex. But sure, it does sure. play out the same way where he's investigating a mystery and through it he becomes uh he becomes more acquainted with these two female characters, um, mm. both of whom are set up to be sort of um sexual interests of okay. Philip Marlowe. Uh, but it does, it breaks down exactly the same way that a romance novel does in the progression of their relationships with each other, even though it doesn't hit the same tropes. And yeah. so I'm um, reading that and Raymond Chandler is considered like the pinnacle of the detective novel. I mean, Philip yeah. Marlowe is sort he's of the big cheese. Yeah. He's the mold out of which all other private detectives and fiction come out of. Yeah. And so reading it, it was really interesting to see, well, he's doing exactly the same thing that I have read in a hundred different detective style romance novels. But mm -hmm. why is it that he gets the prestige of being mm -hmm. like, the big name whereas say somebody like Jane Ann Krentz is relegated to the romance section and yeah you know yeah. sort of looked down upon um she I don't if there is a college in America that is teaching Jane Ann Krentz classes I want to be there <laughs> but <laughs> Give I us a call yeah sign me up but I I don't think that that's something that exists whereas I you could find Raymond Chandler focused classes pretty much mm. everywhere yeah yeah um, and it, I'm also, this is something I was also interested now, now that I think about it in bringing up, um, cause I was, uh, 
I think, and this goes to also why I was a little surprised to see Ronald D. Moore, because, you know, I mean, okay, this is a genre show, um, same as the two biggest ones. He's probably done other work, but the ones I'm most familiar with of his work are Deep Space Nine and um, Battlestar Galactica. And I'm like, okay, this is also a genre thing, but it's not at all what I would expect at this point from him, because, you know, the fact that it is a romance, Mm -hmm. um, so much a romance novel, as well as a fantasy, uh, was surprising to me. I was like, huh, I would think of it I guess, and this is goes to my prejudices as well, because I would think of that as more of a, as, well, to put it crudely, a chick novel. Right. Um, as a chick TV show, then, uh, and Battlestar and, uh, Star Trek much more, not so much, because, you know, my mom was the big Star Trek fan in my family, and mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm not gonna say, uh, strictly that Star Trek and Battlestar are dude shows, but I think of, that sort of sci-fi, I think, to some extent, has been sort of yeah, it's occupied it's, by dudes. It's more of a hard the, sci-fi, yeah, and that it does seem to be more of a dude-centered uh, yeah genre. Yeah, so um, it's like, huh? Yeah, I'm pleasantly surprised. I'm curious. Now, I had read the first Outlander book years ago, and so I don't remember very much of it. So I was oh, wow. su- okay. I was surprised when the show started to find out how much of. Um, the mysticism was actually built in right from the beginning in the 1945 yes. timeline. Uh, when great. When Frank encounters the ghost of Jamie, because um, that's clearly Jamie. Uh, yes. And then he presents that to Claire in a really straightforward, matter-of-fact fashion, as though a ghost is something that he's encountered before, as though a ghost is something that is not out of the ordinary in this universe. That yeah. really surprised me, because I... I don't know what I was expecting. I, I think I expected that experience to be limited to Claire when she goes yeah. through time. Um, Cause that's sort of a convention of the genre that the hero is the only person who experiences this. And then um, the love interest has to be talked into it kind of. Yeah. Um, which is, yeah. Which is something I've, I've always kind of disliked, honestly. I'm yeah. Like, oh, maybe it's just sort of a, a button of mine I'm like oh I don't like you're saying this and everybody thinks you're crazy I kind of hate that there is a scene where Claire does that in her head where she explains to Mrs. Fitz that she fell back through time and I can't remember what episode it was in now and she imagined it's totally imagined she doesn't actually say it out loud and the reaction that Mrs. Fitz has is to call her a demon to start yelling for her to get out um, for somebody to come and help her and then Claire snaps out of it and goes about her day as normal, but realizes that she can't tell Mrs. Fitz anything. And mm-hmm. it it makes sense for the character. I mean, I can see Claire believing that because I think Claire had sort of that same reaction to Frank when he came and talked about the ghost. She was just kind of humoring him. It didn't seem like she was really um, that convinced by his story. Yeah. Um. So I can see that. And then also when she goes back in time, she really sees the culture that she's dropped into as really backward, which yeah. I'm sure a lot of us would have that reaction if we suddenly slipped 200 years into the past. Yes. Yeah. I kind of, I did enjoy that actually. I, as much as I get annoyed by, like I said earlier, that she rolled with it really quickly. Mm-hmm. I was also really enjoying that. Oh, this is not, romantic at all right this is gross <laughs> and scary the, and violent the shot that really got me was crap, when crappy they get to castle Leo and she walks into the 
the courtyard and it's just mud everywhere. Yes. And I was like, this is so perfect. It's not pristine. It's not dry and clean. Yep. yep. It was really great. And they accomplished it. I feel even with some nudity, I feel like they accomplished it much better than uh, Game of Thrones accomplishes the same thing of uh, look how gross life actually was in this situation in right. this world. You know, that was something that really struck me, too, because um, let's see, I'm, I am I think I'm halfway through episode four. So I've okay. really only seen um, some thigh, which, believe me, is very much appreciated. Thank you, costume designers. Mm-hmm. Um but the only real female nudity that we've seen so far is Claire, and we've seen pretty much all of Claire. We saw a little bit of Frank, but I think it was t- all torso. Um, mm-hmm. So the bulk of the nudity has been female. And yeah. it, but it, watching it, it just it struck me because I did watch Game of Thrones all the way up until the scene <laughs> oh, God, with yeah. Jamie and right Cersei with, in yeah, the Sept, yeah. and I was in it, and I just got to a point where I couldn't anymore because. It felt like an assault every single time there was a female body on the mm-hmm. screen because I knew that what was going to happen was that body was going to be exposed, not because the woman was exposing herself, but because there was a man acting to expose her. Yeah. And so yeah. it really struck me watching this. This is, I mean, we're watching this show in a female gaze. There is, yeah. it's it's not set up even when Claire even, is naked yeah. and emotional and vulnerable we're still seeing like a woman who's in control of her own body, which is yeah. so rare. It's and a goodly, astonishing. One thing that struck me was a goodly amount of the nudity, even when it was there, was often not sexual for mm-hmm. Claire anyway. I mean, we and we do have, you know, in that second episode, I believe, we see Jamie's flashback to the assault he, right. he was involved in. Um, but with Claire also, you have like Claire topless i think in the first or second episode and but it's just in the context of changing clothes and Mm -hmm. i'm like okay fine this is something that's in there for maybe this is something that's in there to be like oh look we do have boobs right but it's also (laughs) it is premium cable not particularly sexy it's like okay she's changing her clothes she's putting on some underwear like okay it's and it's not drawn out it didn't feel like right like i of course this is you know it's like a law of nature that like when you're watching tv it's gonna be the most embarrassing scene that somebody else walks in on Mm -hmm. um and naturally this was i was (laughs) watching this at home and downstairs on the couch and uh and my father walks in naturally right at the scene where Claire is changing and putting on a corset. Right. I'm like, oh, okay. But I mean, even <laughs> I wasn't particularly embarrassed yeah. by that because I'm like, okay, she's changing clothes. It wasn't like drawn out. It wasn't like ages of her bathing or something. And I'm like, okay, that's that's pretty not embarrassing actually. well even okay. the assault that jamie flashes back where his sister is assaulted by black jack randall it's it didn't feel exploitative it felt yeah it felt natural it felt like um a function of the story to yeah. see the and way that his clearly, sister was assaulted yeah. like that's the other thing it was clearly it was as much about shocking and being shocking in the sense of being appalling and horrifying and establishing this dude as a villain as it was about titillation right as game of thrones i'm just like oh (laughs) what was it play with her ass while i talk about this boring backstory 
that yeah. scene I think broke the internet. That was everybody oh. was like, "What is happening?" God, it was so hand handed. That That's the thing that really upsets me. Is I'm fine with titillation. I mm-hmm. I, I I watch enough and read enough that you know you have to admit that you like it and that's why you're watching it sometimes yeah. but when it becomes so aggressive it's in presenting just, yeah. that to you yeah and it, i think a lot of that is i'm really fed up with the idea that sexual violence is a trope um yeah. that it's something that yeah. that only exists to push a character along or to give someone some tragic backstory oh, or an inciting event for a hero don't even Oh, don't you know, even get me started on yeah. Downton Abbey last season. Oh, yeah, exactly. Oh and, it, so, and it crops up ugh. everywhere where you you think you're watching something that, you know, you would it's the last thing that you would expect. And then all of a sudden there it is. And it gets Boom. it gets played for this ex- exploitation. And it's just it's so frustrating. But and then so we come into this show and I've really sort of decided that if I'm watching something where um, if a woman is uh, murdered or assaulted, in the first couple of minutes and it's used to drive a hero forward. I'm not going to watch it anymore. I've just stopped. All right. All right. So I get to this and um, when Claire's in the woods and she's uh, she runs into Black Jack Randall and the first thing that he decides he's going to do is he's going to try to rape her. And I was kind of like, oh, geez. Mm. But it's not used as any kind of um, an inciting event for anyone. It's it's to build that character. It's horrible because we now... we learn that this is how he treats most yeah. of the women he encounters but it doesn't feel like in game of thrones where it's just like a part of the world you know yeah i'm going to show yeah. you how brutal this world is because all these women are getting raped all of the time it yeah. feels very specific to that one character in this world and who and is yeah the super and even villain. when you know like there's that scene later i think where she's with the the lord um the laird i'm sorry the laird um, <laughs> And uh, they're talking and she mentions where there's the issue of whether she's a spy for the English. And she mentions that the time he tried, how he tried to rape her. And he responds, the guy, the Lord responds with, well, you know, oh, are you telling me that he just assaulted you for no good reason? And she responds, is there ever a good reason? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, huh, you know, okay. And they sort of you kind of get the impression that he's like, well, we'll have to agree to disagree on that. But it's also very much set up as like, okay, this is a different world. This is a different time. Right. And it's, it's not just for, it's not just an excuse for lots of boobs and nudity. Mm-hmm. It is actually a way to establish the setting. Cause I feel like game of Thrones. I'm like, yeah, actually okay a lot of history yeah was pretty shitty for women and i can see how that would be pretty terrible and yeah rape is a pretty big issue in war but i feel like game of thrones rather than using it to build the the world is using it to show lots of boobs and i'm like okay i think you're hiding behind this is realistic was one of my big big problems with the tv adaptation of game of thrones in the books um the violence has a very specific point Mm -hmm. george R. R. martin is giving us this depiction of a a nation that's basically disintegrating yeah Uh, there's lawlessness and there's no authority and 
his story is actually showing us how that is destroying the the people who aren't the focus of the story, how the small yeah. folk are, are being impacted by that. Yeah. The show has absolutely no sense of what is happening beyond our main characters. Yeah. And so and it, yeah. it doesn't make any sense that these people are raping and pillaging all over the world because we never see what the consequences of that is. Yeah. Uh, all we see is what happens in the moment. There's no reverberations down the line that we get. And yeah. even to our main characters, when it happens, it happens and then it's done. Uh, we yeah. don't see the aftermath of it. And that's where it, I really can't stand seeing that kind of thing because it's so artificially constructed and it's so mm-hmm. much for the benefit of the viewing audience and, as titillation. It doesn't become mm-hmm. a part of character work. It doesn't become a part of the the world building that's going on. It's just there. It's because that 13 year old producer behind the scenes is going more oh, boobs. Yeah, exactly. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. So it was, it's really refreshing to come to. I still would prefer to watch a show where it isn't happening at all, but yeah. it is really refreshing to come to a show where it, it is happening. The main character comments on how unacceptable it is. Um, it's not used as the driving action for some man going on a vengeance quest. Yeah. And then even Jamie, um, we see that he that experience was awful not just because his sister was assaulted um and his sister had to was forced to make a choice between his life or um submitting to black jack randall but we see that he's it's not an external trauma it's an internal trauma for him as well because mm-hmm. he was also violated at that time yeah um yeah. so it doesn't become you know Liam Neeson's career resurgence of the oh, the man with a vengeance. Oh, um, it yes, really becomes a yes. part of that character. Oh, my Liam Neeson. I love yes. Liam Neeson, but geez. It's true. It's Don't stand too close to him if you're a woman. Yeah, because you're going to get something really bad yeah. is going to happen. Hit it and quit it, ladies. Yeah. It comes to Liam Neeson, clearly. <laughs> get in and get out. Yeah. Um, speaking of, actually, I know we have discussed this briefly on Twitter, but also I was rewatching last week the pilot of um, uh, uh, Penny Dreadful, which, mm-hmm. yeah, I think I'm like, okay, Outlander, I'm willing to give you a shot, but I think Penny Dreadful is probably the costume, drama, genre, soap opera, premium cable excitement of my heart right now because okay. it's just I'm like watching it and I'm I was rewatching the pilot and I'm like I don't recall now that I think about it um I will say it starts there is initially a a woman being killed um but it is not particularly like lo- it's it's horror movie it's not torture porn horror movie it's very much like she gets up from bed uh and there's loud noise and she's gone basically um and then her child wakes up and goes to investigate and that's like it's not particularly violent or gruesome or i think we may get some glimpse of their bodies being carried out of a building later but um there's some like okay i will warn you right now stick with it because we also have and we have a woman's disappearance being used to give a man angst but it's also very much being used to give a woman angst as well um her best friend and her father as well as uh together um 
And, uh, but I was thinking about it as I'm watching it. I'm like, huh, I believe the first nudity we get is a sex scene, but we don't actually see much of the woman at all. I think we don't see any of her body at all in this sex scene. We only see Josh Hartnett's ass, um, <laughs> which, okay, I'm like, all right, I'm, okay. I'm not particularly into it, but that's fine. And uh, I think we have some, I think we actually get no, I as I recall, I don't know that there are any is any female nudity at all in the pilot episode, which I'm like, huh, that is very surprising given that this is on Showtime. Well, and it's one of those things that you really notice when it doesn't happen. Um, yeah. Naked women are so much a part of like the background of everything that we yeah. consume that when Ugh. a woman doesn't take her clothes off, it's surprising. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of refreshing. Yeah. Sad um, truth. Yeah, I'll definitely be looking into that. Yes. Um, I do know, since we're only, the two of us are only about halfway through this first part of the first season of Outlander, um, last night, as we're recording this, actually, an episode aired, um, I think it's the second to last episode of this mini All season, right. we'll call it. Um, and it's the, it's, uh, from what I understand from the way my Twitter feed was melting down uh -oh. last night, there uh -oh. is substantial nudity, um, both All male right. and female, and sort of, and it's actually I think framed as, "You show me yours, you, I'll show you mine." Um, All right. So there's All right. like this notion of equality in within right. sexuality that is really intriguing, and that is why All I want right. to watch the show because interesting from the jump, Claire has been a character who we don't see very often who is a female character who is very sexual um who is openly sexual and uh, mm. she initiates sex with her husband um she's mm. open about sex she's not shamed for having a yeah. sexual appetite which yeah. is again something that's so surprising to see that it's really refreshing and even if i find her frustrating and i find the show frustrating and yeah. i'm not really that into it i i want to that keep is... going because yes it's something that you don't that. see at all um, and so I want to see how that continues to develop. Yes, I definitely want to encourage that. Yeah, more um, shows also, like that. I will admit I'm also enjoying watching the uh, the fandom, watching the reactions on the internet. <laughs> um, because I, you know, I love fandom. I do. We we both came from fandom, and I'm I'm very fond of it. But it also is full of people, which means there is lots of very dumb stuff said and silly things that are fought about and I am kind of enjoying watching because the big reaction that I saw on the internet from people who hadn't read the books following the very first episode was wow her husband seems kind of awesome mm -hmm. um, he seems kind of great I really like him and then watching the wank as um, book fans <laughs> are going oh my god no, no. don't understand <laughs> just wait no. yeah no he's terrible um, so watching the uh, the book versus show fans are is a lot of fun. Um, that's that's a fun hobby of mine because I'm I'm a troll at heart. <laughs> um, and also knowing having been told about some of the more uh, appalling things that happen in the book and things that bad characters do to good characters mm -hmm. and uh, and good characters do to other good characters that are just sort of like really that that's that's okay that make it clear that this is uh 
infic, let's say, something that was uh, very much written as um, a an itty romance novel where I'm like, huh, I'm, I'm enjoying watching the fandom waiting for that to happen. Yeah. Um, I, and I, I admit I am going to get a gleeful thrill, a cruel gleeful thrill out of watching the reactions. I feel the same way. And I, yes. I was one of those book fans in Game of Thrones when yeah. certain yeah, things I knew were coming and I both dreaded seeing it happen on, on the screen because I had dreaded it on the page, but also yeah. really anticipating <laughs> with much yep. joy yep. how the watching, non-book yeah. people were going to react to those kinds of scenes. So yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. I love watching that that yes. clash uh, between yeah. the people who know what's coming and the people who don't. And yeah. uh, they're very, very, very clear on what they think is going to happen. Yeah. Um, oh, so gosh. yeah, that's always interesting. Another oh, thing I've really enjoyed. Send me some of that. Oh yeah. The best you've seen because I, I, yeah, I, I'm a terrible person and I enjoy <laughs> laughing at, it's... at fandom as well as being yes. a part of it. Well, you have to, I think laugh at some of it because. Oh gosh. Yes. It's there. And you got to deal with it. Uh, some of the yeah. stuff I've really enjoyed, um, speaking of on the internet, uh, Roxanne Gay has been writing recaps of Outlander for Vulture. Oh, excellent. And All she right. has not read the books. She is only watching oh, the show. Nice. And she okay. speaks the words of my heart, basically. Oh, excellent. It's <laughs> the recaps. Um, she, I think, really gets to uh, the emotional heart of what's happening, but also she shares that that prurient interest in, um, as I said on Twitter the other night, there's so much, there's so much thigh visible. I can't concentrate oh, on what's happening. Yes. Um, and she really kind of marries the two and she's, she's so smart. Everything she says is dipped in gold yes. and everybody should go read oh, it. Oh, excellent. All right. I look forward to that. That'll be fun. Oh, I guess let's see. Do we want to talk about Doctor Who as well in this context? Since we've already mentioned it a little, I I still haven't seen many Jamie episodes. I admit I've watched some of what's on Netflix, um, and I I have to say I have to admit my knowing that she was sort of inspired a lot by by this character. I was watching Doctor Who, and I'm like, uh, him. I'm just kind of like him. Okay, really? Her? Yeah, I, I just, uh, yeah. I've seen. I have all of the, almost all of the available uh, classic Who. Oh, nice. Um, and I, it's Excellent. been years since I watched. Coming over most to your house it. for a yeah, party. Come on, come on over. We'll watch yes. some old Doctor Who, some old black and white shrieking. It's the best. Yes. Um, and so I've seen second Doctor episodes with Jamie, and I like Jamie. Um, yeah, but I, I don't dislike I kind of him. Don't I, understand how I can yeah. see actually the idea of this Highlander out of time who was actually taken yes. out of a very specific time and place and then yes. sort of thrown into the galactic. Um, yeah, it, I I think that does make a great jumping off point. But this specifically, I'm going to build this romantic idealized yeah. character around Jamie McCrimmon doesn't really and yeah. I would pick a different companion if I were going to be and doing that. Exactly. I would pick a much different I'm companion. just like he seems perfectly nice um he's perfect you know and I I don't like to play the um who's the best companion because they're all the best is the correct answer <laughs> that's correct I them all they're all wonderful um but I so I don't object to him I'm just like I okay sure fine i'm i i'm just like well 
I don't quite get it. I respect it. You know, I'm sure I have plenty of baffling crushes and and romantic heroes I'd like to see that would baffle onlookers. But um, you know, I was I was well, I was just yesterday I was explaining to to our uh, a mutual friend of ours to Samantha about uh, how my generally my uh, crush on my never ending much to my shame crush on Sean Bean reminds me a great deal uh, as I was watching this episode the other day of the episode of Simpsons where Lisa has a crush on Nelson mm-hmm. and I'm like yep that's pretty much how I feel yeah I'm like oh Oh, well, I can understand. This is unfortunate. Jamie McCrimmon, I think, is not the most well-developed of Who companions. Yeah. Um. So it really gives you, as a writer, a lot to play with because there's yeah. all of this stuff that you can build into that character. And but that I, is... Yeah. I feel the same way that you do about Sean Bean or Scene Bean, just, as we call him in yes, my house. Yes. Um, I'm just where like, I, I, yeah. It's where I'm inexplicable. sure people would be like him. To me, mm-hmm. I'm like, and I'm like, I've I realize, and in so many, many ways, he's a garbage person. Well, I, I even above, <laughs> even beyond the bafflingness of Jamie, Jamie's just kind of uninspiring to mm-hmm. me. But yeah, but I'm just like, I okay, so I don't judge for it. I don't judge Diana, whatever for it. I just am a little confused by yeah. it. So. Like okay, that's that's mostly my feeling on the Doctor Who aspect of that. I'm like, I okay, all right, but yeah, and to take it back to what you said a little while ago, I feel like she's gone the opposite of what's interesting about Jamie. Even um, you know, as you said, the really interesting thing about him is taking this character from a very specific point in time, and throwing him into the galaxy to all of time and space and mm-hmm. sci-fi and all the majest- majestic rather weirdness of sci-fi and Doctor Who specifically. Um, so I sort of feel like as much as I love kind of, I love fish out of water stories, but I feel like if you're going to use Jamie as your jumping off point, I don't understand why you'd go in the opposite direction and put somebody in his time rather than taking him and putting him in a weird, huge situation that is completely alien to his understanding. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, that's yeah. something that's really common that, I mean, you don't see very often a person out of time in the opposite mm. direction who comes into the future. And when you do, they're usually cast as um, really adrift that they can't, um, either they acclimate too quickly and it seems mm. unbelievable or they they can't acclimate at all. <laughs> yeah. Um, actually, there was a really great skewering of that, I think, um, back on Saturday Night Live back in the day when oh, Phil nice. Hartman was on the Unfrozen oh, wow. Caveman Lawyer. Oh, nice. He's Excellent. an incredibly slick lawyer type. He's very in tune with, uh, he knows what he's doing. He always knows what Excellent. he's presenting. But he always, he frames it as, I'm just an unfrozen caveman. Your ways oh, frighten and confuse me. Um, <laughs> which is brilliant because Sleepy Hollow even does this, where they bring this character forward in time um and he acclimates pretty quickly but there's still these little nuances that he doesn't quite get or that he's outraged by you know how much sales tax is on a cup of coffee uh things like that and so that to me is the more interesting way to do time travel yeah uh, because 
one of my frustrations with Claire is that she goes back into this time where she knows she is in mortal peril. She knows yeah. that if she does not fit in, bad things are going to happen to her. Yeah. But she continues to not to try to fit in. Like she continues yeah. to rail against the machine, even when yeah. she knows she should just be quiet for a little while. Yeah. Um, and that yeah. for me is really frustrating because that carries with it this, um, sort of a contempt for the time period that the future person has jumped yeah. back into. Yeah. Um, where you can't, you're so used to your ways and you, you want to pull everyone there into your ways rather than fitting yourself into theirs. Yeah. And from one perspective, I, I do like that you go back and you see injustices and you try to correct them. But on the other hand, it's that contempt that really. Yeah. Sort of that gets at me. Is yeah. Really. It just, I'm like, ugh. Yeah, of just, I don't know, I, I was discussing this, I think, when I read a biography of the Mitfords a few months ago, I, I ended up getting too annoyed by it and having to put it down because I was, you know, getting a little frustrated. Um, But I ended up going on a tear on Twitter and saying, well, the thing is, you know, this is used a lot of, well, it was a different time mm -hmm. to forgive characters and people for bad things and and I think that can be frustrating and I don't think that's an excuse certainly for bad behavior um you know there's that great uh disclaimer war no Warner Brothers has started putting before a lot of their really old yeah the, stuff where the they song say, of the Look, south yeah these are things that were not acceptable then they're not acceptable now um and they don't excuse it but they also you know and I I so I always hesitate to say, well, it was a different time. But on the other hand, it was a different time. I right. think that's a useful explanation. And I think context is important because without, if you throw away, it was a different time completely, then you end up with no understanding of context and this idea that terrible things just happen in a vacuum. Mm -hmm. Um and I think, so I think it's important to get a balance of that. Right. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think Outlander so far is doing a pretty good job of it. And it may help also, because I was not aware, I was very interested um, to find uh, when the show started that she, I had gotten the impression she was from like modern, uh, the modern world. Oh, okay. Um, by which I mean, or whenever the books were written, I was not aware that Claire was from World War Two as well, um, which I found an interesting, an interesting choice. I was very interested in that. And I wonder if that may not help a little bit for me in terms of like, okay, well, she's going to a different time, but she's also from a different time. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. That was that was interesting to me. Yeah, um, I I didn't realize. I think when I read the books, I, I I'm sure I picked up on it, but when the show came out, I had forgotten uh, that she comes from off uh, five years of frontline nursing. So she's mm. she's been really immersed in um, in a man's world, so to speak. She's been mm. uh, surrounded by violence and injury and death. And she's also been very um, independent in that she hasn't been with her husband this whole time. Yeah. Um, so it, it's interesting to see how that plays out as well. And then that ties into Frank also, because I, yes. I fall into the same trap where I, I know some of the things that Frank does later, but seeing him in the context of the show now, I'd forgotten about those things. And so he seems like this gentle, 
um, yeah. this loving, gentle husband who's trying to reconnect with his wife. But then there are those flashes of things like, well, who else, you know, asking her without really asking her if, you, yeah. if she slept with anyone while they were apart. Um, so that was really interesting to see how her reaction to that differs um, from what you might expect from a truly modern heroine. Yeah, 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 it was very, I yeah, yeah, it was very interesting. Um, let me see. I'm trying to think if I have any other feelings on this. I don't think I do so far, except that, again, I love Bear McCreary. Um, some of the music is a little ridiculous, but it's a kind of ridiculous that I have a very, very soft spot for in my heart mm-hmm. of the, um, especially same with the, um, the midnight or the rather dawn, uh, Senate sin- the dawn ritual up at the standing stones that she and her husband go to watch. I'm like, Oh, this is so ridiculous, but it, I have a very soft spot in my heart for pagan fluffiness (laughs) for fluffy pagan nonsense. So I was like, Oh, this is, this is delightful. One objection to that, uh, the ritual, especially, um, is that I want, I wanted the story to be about the girl who partook in the ritual and then came back for something that she had left. Yes. I wanted a jumping off point in the story there where she was actually like, they actually had gathered for the specific aim of sending her back in time. Oh, um, and that yes. Claire sort of slipped in there in the, in the meantime. Yes. Which oh, you I can, like that. I think betrays my fandom origins there. You should, yeah. <laughs> well, was really you should a story write I that to read. just to, you should write that just to spite uh, Diana Gabaldon, <laughs> but also because that would be an awesome story. That would be fantastic. So I, I, like I can that. understand her impulse of watching Doctor Who yeah. and seeing a character and thinking, what if, because it's the yes. same impulse that I have watching what's come out of what she's created. Yes. No, I, and I thought they were sort of going somewhere with that character as well. I also, I don't know, something about, I, I'm trained, I guess, from watching TV to sort of view everything as any character who Mm -hmm. shows up um, and does something a little strange as significant. So I sort of figured they were going to do more with that. And I guess I was a little surprised when they didn't. Yeah. Uh, so I guess if anybody wants to tell us what they think the deal with that was, what yeah. is she, does she, is she a metaphor of some kind? She probably is. And I'm missing it. She's probably a metaphor for something. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not great with metaphors. So no, yeah, if somebody wants no. to tell us what the deal is I, with that girl yes. or maybe write the there story of how she's angry that she was thwarted. Yes. <laughs> going somebody back to meet us. a Highland man. Uh, yes. in his little kilt. She should be our mascot now. I think she girl. should. We should, yes, there we go. All right. Well, that seems like a good place to stop, I think. I think so. 